Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. The Magic 5, custom fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. All right, Braden Holloway, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? It's a pleasure to be on and 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 uh, to talk with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, always um, good. What's been going on uh, the last couple of weeks in the lead up to college season starting again, mate? Well, well, once we got through, you know, trials, and you know, we unfortunately had a. We were like the team that liked to just get third and fourth a whole lot. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought we were going to have, you know, a little bit of down period. Um, you know, we kept the kids training a little bit uh, on our college team. And then we had a group getting ready for the ISL. So trying to balance between that group, keeping them motivated post-trials, keeping them in water for a little bit longer before they got a break. And then that trying to motivate the ISL kids to kind of get ready. Hey, let's take a um, – Let's, let's take advantage of early on in the ISL and then obviously my home life with my wife and kids trying to balance all that. So I feel like it's just a constant juggle, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and this is, this was part of my biggest challenge for myself when I was the head coach at Auburn, like kind of where you are right now is this, you know, you're in a program that's successful, that has great athletes in it and, and they're going all year now. And and not only do you focus on kids that are swimming in college and then you want them to go and swim internationally, but now you've got professional athletes that are swimming with you that have now got a professional swim league to get to. So it's it's almost like there's always somebody getting ready for something and okay. they're, they're always wanting your time and attention. So you're, you're a victim of your own success now where it's it's almost like, you've built this program so well and got it to a point where really great athletes want to be part of it. But now it's almost like you're tied to it 24 seven. You can't get away from it. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, luckily my wife swam in college, so she kind of, you know, she gets it. And so uh, 
she gets annoyed a lot with it, but <laughs> at least, you know, we're able to kind of talk through it and say, okay, let's, do I really need to be at this thing? Do I really need to be at that? Um, can I delegate this, you know, a little bit? And I think it's, it's helped me. You're right. I mean, I, I feel like it's go, go, go all the time, but at least I think having four kids and, um, I've been able to kind of delegate good to my staff at, to where I can have my separation and give back to my family at the same time. So I'm not like, you know, just put myself in a hole every starting point. I'm in a hole. Um, so yeah. have my wife, my, my wife is pretty open with communicating with it. And, and, um, but yeah, there's, there's times where it's like, okay, time out. I'm taking a step back. Yeah. So well, let's get back then uh, to kind of where it all began in terms of the vision for this, where you're at right now. You know, you've obviously had dreams to get to exactly where you're at. The, the program is is in a pretty bad state, I guess, when, when you take it over. Just give me the lay of the land when when you were kind of, um, you know, brought on to, to lead this program. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, at first I didn't apply. Um you know, I was at Virginia Tech for, I think I was there for eight years. I was working with Ned Skinner, dear friend of mine, awesome guy, treated me awesome. We were, we were great friends, um, gave me a lot of autonomy, allowed me to mess up um, and, and learn. And when this job came open, uh, you know, my wife talked about it. And I, to be honest, I was nervous at first because I was like, I can't go back to my alma mater and fail. Like I... Mm. I was just, I was kind of scared um, to mm -hmm. even, I, I guess I was afraid, I was, you know, had fear of failing. And, you know, my wife pretty much slapped me in the face and be like, this is our alma mater. My wife swam at NC State too. So I was like, this is where we went. This is, we know this place. We can help it. We can't, we got, we got to go help. Um, and she basically slapped me out of it. And I was like, all right, yeah, you're right. What am I thinking? You know, I, it, let's go and it'll be a journey. It'll be tough, but at least it's a great city. Um at the time we had three kids. So our fourth child was not born yet. So um, we kind of came in and I, I think, you know, there was some talent here, you know, there was uh, a lot on the men's side. There was some good talent on the men's side and um, the women was, you know, not as talented. If you look at just a, the paper and who was here, the personnel, but it, I think it allowed me knowing that we had a lot of work to do, it allowed all the creative thoughts I've always wanted to try. And my thought process of, okay, let's do some things different. I've always wanted to do this or do this or whatever. And um, it allowed me to try it. And obviously a lot of things didn't work at all and they were dumb. <laughs> and then a lot of them worked and, and it allowed us to open the door to, to new things. So I think the big thing I learned early was, you know, associating yourself with just great people. Um you know, having people that are, that you can trust and trust you and, and really evolving just the program around, you know, just great ideas and, and a good culture of, of not just obviously, you know, trying to swim fast or, you know, but it's like, let's, we put a lot of focus on grades um, with mm -hmm. the team and, um, and, you know, just imagine the full circle of, you know, you do well in school, you're going to do well in the pool, you do well in the pool, you're going to do well in school. And it's just a circle. And so it allowed us to kind of create something that, you know, where we started winning and we, our team liked that because they didn't have it before, and, you know, it was bits and pieces along the way, but it allowed them to really 
understand, man, I like the way this feels. I like, you know, us being competitive. I like that we're taking this team to the wire. I like that we're, you know, breaking some records and, you know, and then, you know, the first thing was just swimming at night at ACCs. I mean, we just, we're, we need to have some night, night swims and score some mm -hmm. points. Um, and there were some things that happened throughout the year that opened the mind of a lot of the team at the time. I mean, my, um, we had a guy here, Connor Brennan was his name. He was the, the elected captain. I kind of came into it here, are your captains. And, um, and one of the biggest things we focused on was like, I, I don't just don't think you're giving yourself enough credit that you're better than you are. Like you guys are, you're, you're accepting mediocrity and mm. we can, we can think bigger, you know? And so we came in, we did a heavy dry land. Um, and we put a guy's like, you're going to go on the block. You're going to go at best time. Suit up. You're going to go at best time to 100 free. He was like, I haven't even warmed up. I was like, you don't need it. You just did an hour dry land. You don't need it. You, you know, let's go. And we, you know, teams banging the kickboards and this and that. And I was like, would you go last year at conference? He was like, I went 46-3. I didn't score. I was like, I guarantee you can, you know, you can do that now. I'll be honest. I had two watches. I had one already set to his best time, 46, like two. <laughs> just in case he didn't do it. <laughs> so I was going to lie anyway. Um, but then I had the other watch and, the, and he did it. And he, and he went, we, he went like 46 one and he went the best time. And, and I, it allowed me to start using the concept of it's okay to dream bigger. It's okay to start having these bigger goals and, and to, to know that if you do things right, we can reach these things. And, and so that's kind of where it started. And then the things just kind of, steamrolled and well that's the that's the swimming side of it and, and i i appreciate that thanks for sharing that story but there's also a part of it where you go from an assistant to a head and there's this realization that you're not just a coach anymore you know like you've you're now a manager you've got to manage a staff you've got to put together a staff um first of all and then you've got to manage it and then you've got to you know you're a fundraiser as well you gotta you gotta start looking at how you can build your um your staff, you're, you're a recruiter, obviously, you're, you're, you're so many different hats. And then you've got to work with the athletic department, you know, you got to work with the AD, you know, you're getting pulled away here and there. So, I mean, when you first come in, is it a bit of a shock to go from an assistant to a head and, and the realization of what goes on behind the scenes for a head coach? Yeah, I, I would say I got slapped in the face real, real hard. Um, you know, when I was at Virginia Tech with Ned, I, you know, I had so much time to write workouts. Mm -hmm. I had so much time to recruit. Mm -hmm. And I, and I never, you know, I knew Ned was doing the behind the scenes and I just didn't know how much it entails. And then when I got here, it was, you know, our, our alumni base is huge. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just the decades of success and, and, and these people going on and having successful careers. I mean, just the, the alumni and, and relating to alumni and communicating change and communicating, here's what's coming. Here's what I want to do. Here's, mm -hmm. here's the fundraising for these things. And, and then also, you know, managing a staff managing under a one umbrella when there's mm -hmm. lots of minds at use, right. And, and trying to come together and then, I would say the the biggest challenge was I I had to learn how to be two days ahead of things that needed to be done because the day of wasn't going to happen. You know, mm. oh here's an athlete coming in the door. Oh here's another athlete coming in the door, and I can't turn them away. Mm. Um, I need to meet with them. So I would say just learning 
man, if I'm going to plan some things out, I better be earlier, you know, because if not, I'm I'm more flying by the hip. And next thing you know, this to do list all of a sudden doesn't get done today. Right. Yeah. And then the to do to do list now is like this and this and this and it was a shock. I was shocked. Yeah. Had you had any um, formal education in management at all? No, no, <laughs> no. I, I, I was, um, you know, I had a. What did you study degree. in college? <laughs> Uh, you, I, I did sports management and, okay, um, right. and then my master's was in education. Okay. And, but I think, you know, just, you know, I kind of, when people ask me about that, I was like, look, if you can balance a life, you can balance your finances at home, you can balance a mortgage and bills and you can balance people close to you. You're going to have the skills necessary to, to do this job. You know, like I've had a lot of assistants obviously move on to, um, pretty big roles in coaching recently, the last five or six years. And mm-hmm. that was always a question that they would ask me is, okay, you know, how am I ready? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, and Bobby was the, the recent one who went to Wilmington. I'm like, Bobby, you're, you're running your family, you're running your house. You're, you know, you're in a lot of it, you know, you're having a, a lot of your families in Indonesia. You're, you got this covered, man. I mean, really you just use your instincts of, of, of how you're doing it and appropriate your time to the right areas. You're, you're going to be great. And so I think that was, that was, the did key. you allow a guy like Bobby to come in and see some of it mm-hmm. apart from those conversations? Were you, were you bringing him in at all? Yeah. You know, when Bobby started, he was, uh, he was going to be a GA, but something with his visa messed up. And so he was a temp worker. Right. And then he was a GA and then he was a volunteer. And then I promoted an associate and then uh, assistant, then associate. So the more Bobby went through the years, the more Mm -hmm. I would bring him into, okay, here's some of the, some of the big keys that we're, we're hitting. Mm -hmm. Here's how we're going to have a map of this out financially, whether it's through a budget or through, you know, how we're allocating our fundraising resources. Um, But yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone um, that I've had move on, we've, we've kind of built up and through the learning process just so they can get a taste, formulate their own opinions. You know, I'm, I'm probably a coach who I like conflict. I like positive conflict to get the best resolution. Um, and th- that always occurred in a lot of our meetings, which was always, it was fun. Sometimes it, it got intense, but a lot of times it meant the best for our program was going to be the outcome. Right. It seemed like you did a really good job early on and, and, and continue to do a good job selecting staff. Like what, what's your theory there? How have you managed to do so well in selecting the right people to work with you and your program? Yeah, thanks. I, I, I think a lot of times I've gotten lucky and, and, but the first thing I look for is a good person. I mean, I, they gotta be a good person. They gotta be able to, to, you know, Brian, Barnes just peaked his window. <laughs> He's door. a good man. Like Brian, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, like my thing with Brian that I didn't really know him beforehand. I knew his history a little bit, but mm. when I learned of him getting out of coaching, you know, when his wife had passed to take care of his kids, I'm like, he's a family guy. This is yep. my type of guy. And mm. so for me, I think number one, they got to be good people. They got to mm. be just general, just generally good, genuine, you know, just a yep. good person too. Um, a proactive thinker in the pool, um, not a retroactive thinker. And three, I like to find people that are opposite. Um, I, I like to have a lot of variety in staff that are going to bring 
so many, you know, me and, you know, Mark Bernardino and I, a lot of times we get to the same point much different ways. And so it just, it allows me to think differently, allows him to think differently. So I think those are kind of the, some of the things I really look for. Awesome, man. That's good advice for people because I think it's so important to put a staff together and it seemed like you've, you've hit it really well. It's been impressive to see the people you've put around you who have been not only uh, loyal to you, but you've been able to get the best out of them. They've felt, they've felt valued and then it seems like you're all working together and I think that's, that's the key. It's like I've seen other programs where there might be a staff of people, but they're, they're separate where every time I've looked at your staffs that you've put together, it seems like everybody's on the same page working together and that's that's a real key to success too right definitely i mean especially with the amount of knowledge that you end up creating on a staff it's a lot you know if i think about the history of mark and how many years he's been coaching brian just now getting here and how many years of coaching obviously my previous staffs um there's a lot of information to to get through and so if, if you're on the same page you can create a wrecking ball and accomplish big things. Um, and then everyone's just gets more excited about it. How do you do that then? How do you value, how do you recognize what their strengths are, value their strengths, and then and then have an understanding of maybe of some of their weaknesses, but also where they fit into the program? And then ultimately, how do you get everybody to work together collectively? Yeah, I think, you know, I think as a head coach, you can't be afraid to evolve and to change things. You know, as one coach leaves, I'm doing shifts within our program to cater to that coach's strengths um, and to minimize their weaknesses. And so each time I've had a new coach come in, there's been some things evolve, you know, where personnel moves, who's leading what on what day um, to really maximize. Cause I always look at it. Like I don't, if some, if a coach is going to be really good and you know, they're really good at these three things, I don't want that coach only affecting two thirds of the team, one third of the team, half of the team. I want that knowledge to be spread to my entire team. Mm. Um, you know, areas where I'm good areas where I'm weak, you know, we got to make sure that everyone's strengths is, is focused towards everybody. And so that everyone maximizes do it. I mean, obviously our offices are all in a row. And so we don't really have, I don't have a staff meeting. Oh, every Monday at nine o'clock. I don't ever do that. Um, mm. because we're pretty much staff meeting all the time. You know, they will come in, we'll talk about something. I'll go into their office, we'll talk about something. It's pretty much all the time every day. Um, and then I think too, you know, the when you said earlier about the coach feeling valued and like I, I like to think, I mean, I'm I mean, people could tell me wrong, but that I you know, I'm not a helicopter type coach. I'm not a micromanager. I mean, there's coaches I'm bringing in. And they're good at a lot of things, and, and I know that they're good at it. And when I learn them, and I'm like, "Man, you're really good at that too," then I'm gonna let them do their thing, you know. And and hey, if if Mark's leading this group on these days, I'm gonna let him do his thing, you know. And and we'll talk through it, and we'll be you know ahead of the you know, like I said, a couple couple of days ahead of every of everything that comes out. But I want them to do what they do best. And I you know there are many things that Brian, for example, or Coach Dan on our team on our on our staff, or even previous coaches I've had that they're really good at. I'm not. And so let's maximize that ability for the, for the betterment of our team. You brought up a guy like Mark, who's, you know, got an incredible history of, of performance and swimming and leadership and results, you know? So how then do you get someone like that? Like I had a Sergio Lopez who's the same sort of thing, you know, right. it's like, 
how do you get someone like that? How do you give them a piece of your program, but it doesn't become about them where it's like, oh, that that's Mark. You know, I want to go swim for Mark and Braden's over there doing his thing, but I really want to swim for Mark and Mark's getting results over here. You know, how does, how does it not become a split when you have someone like that? Right. I, I think number one, it takes that person to, to buy into this program and to buy into me as a, as a head coach, Mark was, you know, I went after Mark and, mm -hmm. you know, I think I called him when he was in church with his wife <laughs> and he was like, dude, I'm going to have to call you back. And I shared my vision. I shared, you know, where his role can really come in. But I also, and he said like, look, I don't want to be a head coach again. I don't, I mm -hmm. want to come in and I want to coach and recruit. I want to have fun. I don't, I don't need all that stuff. You can handle all that. He, he kind of knew going into it that he was going to be that role for me. And, mm. and, and I kind of talk with the team. Our, our environment is such where I don't, I mean, yes, I'm the head coach and, and I have decision-making and I have that presence, you know, during certain things, but also during a normal training segment in a week, we're all the same. And our, our team looks at us all the same, no matter what coach it is. And I think that's something that our team culture is, is really good with. I mean, we do, and we do some stuff like we'll do coach switch. There'll be a day where I show up and I'm coaching the distance kids mm. and Mark's coaching this group and maybe Mark's workout or maybe my workout, but he's, he's running them. And we do a lot of that throughout the year. You know, we do a lot of secondary groups where, you know, this person's running, uh, every the group, you know, if it's a two nine in practice, all the people from different groups that do the two nine am are coming in, mm. and you know, and Brian's leading that group, and so it allows our team to be coached by everybody, right? And allows our coaches to have an investment in everybody. And mm. So I think that's what really helps. I like that. That's that's really good, man. Um, it, it's tough balance, tough tough to figure out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you probably made some mistakes along the way. I, I certainly did <laughs> try to figure all that out, but you, you finally get there. But, but that's good. What about in terms of, um, you know, you're in a place where you, you want to stay uh, relevant with the type of facilities that you can provide. And, and, you know, fundraising can be one of those things that can just take so much away from you. How do you find balance with trying to figure out that part of it? Do, does NC State... Do they have a fundraising um, team that does any of that for swimming? Yeah, we, we the Wolfpack Club does a great job. Um, I, I know our Wolfpack Club nationwide's got a lot of people in it. Um, they lead the fundraising efforts um, for scholarships, big facility enhancements. Um, you know, obviously endowments, of course. But you know, my role. You know, we went through a pretty big fundraising campaign for an outdoor facility. It got uh, curved for a little bit because of COVID put a pretty big damper in the whole process. But um, we're slowly kind of getting back on it. But that I'll have a pretty active involvement with. And then a lot of the other fundraising for me is just do different campaigns. You know, I do a lot of my campaigns around nationals, Olympic trials, you know, Hey, if we, you know, commit to one of these areas, if, if we're able to break this many records or put this many people on the team, or if we have this many Olympians, or if we have this many NCAA champions or something like that, then you, you pledge to, to give. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, different areas where even if it's a low area, so where someone who just graduated can feel like they're benefiting the program, that I have a pretty big involvement with. Um, and it's fun. 
you know, a lot of it goes around alumni weekends. We do alumni weekends every two years just because I feel like it, we were able to, our alumni weekends are packed. I mean, but when you know you only have to do it once every two years, it's easier to commit to the travel um, and the setup of it. But I think, you know, trusting my staff for when I'm gone is pretty big. You know, if I'm hitting the road to go see mm -hmm. a donor and, um, you know, I've had a few the before COVID, I had a few that, you know, were on my plate and it just trusting the team that, you know, whether it's me or whether it's this coach or, or that coach that the work's going to be done. So, um, but I work a, a good bit with our Wolfpack club. And then I also worked a, a good bit with our university enhancement program. Um, you know, um, Brian Cisco is his name. He does a great job. He's one of the chancellor's right-hand man. So he, he helps a lot with the Wolfpack club as well as especially some of the guys that are pretty high up and, you know, that can give to the, to the school. What about in terms of recruiting? You've, you've obviously done a fantastic job of getting athletes that fit into your program and, and you know, incredible job developing them and, and getting them to be um, national championship contenders. Um, so in terms of the recruiting side of it, what's been your philosophy there? I mean, it's probably s similar to how you start off with your staff. They've got to be good people, first of all, right? But like, yeah. what's, what's beyond that? Um, yeah, definitely got to be good. They got to be fun. They got to be willing to take a joke and give a joke. Um, those are pretty big for me because I, I, I do all that. Um, you know, I would say being coachable, being open-minded, um, understanding team before, you know, anything individual is, is pretty important to me. Um, you know, finding – we when we recruit, we kind of tell people what you see is what you get. And I don't like, you know, NC State doesn't have a brand new pool. We don't have this, you know, I mean, we, we are a school that is evolved around people, relationships. And that's kind of how our staff is. So, you know, we, we thrive off the connection with the student athlete, the connection with staff between staff. And, and I think we share that a lot in the process. And that's been our strength. That's why I think we've been able to do what we've done is, is through the relationship aspect and, and, and this school is about people first. And so we kind of share that in recruiting and, and sometimes it hits a strikes a chord great with some people. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I kind of tell my staff, be who you are. Don't be someone you're not because when they get here, you know, they, you, you want them to be here and know that they can work with you and, and have a good relationship. So I don't, I tell the same thing to our team. We are who we are. And some people are going to love it. Some people are not. It, it, sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. But I think just being genuine is is our motto. And that's a good way to go. And and there's a lot of, obviously, strengths when people come in and they see what they see. I mean, getting, getting kids on campus is probably an important factor for you of, like, just letting them see, you know, what the school's actually like, what the team's actually like, what the, what the staff's like. Um, are you, are you open enough to kind of talk about some of the weaknesses? Like where do you lose kids? Like you feel like you're always beating your head up against a particular wall. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, our school is in history has been predominantly, I mean, it's, at one point it was like 70, 30 male to female. And then now right. it's, then it was 60, 40. Now it's close to 50, 50. Um, we, we strive in the STEM category, science, technology, engineering, and math are, are our bread and butter architecture, the design school, our vet school mm -hmm. is really, really good. We're not as known in liberal arts. I mean, we have it, but it's mm -hmm. not, 
you know, we're not known for, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, most people don't look here, you know, and right. we do have a pre-law program, but it's, it's not as well known. It's different. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a, a lot of it depends on the, the major that people, kids are interested in. Right. Um, we may not exactly have it. Um, and so I think sometimes you, you kind of beat your head against the wall. I mean, you know, even if like we have people that have gone into that pr- profession and done great, you know, journalism, for example, it's not a huge, you know, program for us, mm. but yet we have, you know, we have two alums that I swam with that are working as journalists for CNN. Um, one of them is located in the White House and was there during the whole shenanigans that happened. But, you know, I think sometimes getting kids to see the bigger picture is harder to do because they only know kind of that first thing that's right in front of them. Um, you know, our facility is older. I mean, it's a great facility as far as space. You know, we have a 50 meter pool and a 25 yard by 25 meter pool side by side. So we can do both. So we have plenty of water. Um, it's just not your newer facility. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's been around, it's got character as I like to say, and home meets are pretty fun because it's a stadium seating around the pool, you know, especially when you add, you know, fog and glow sticks and turn the lights (laughs) off and layer some guns and roses. Um, (laughs) But it's just, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, they like to see new and fancy and it's ours is not as new and fancy. Is it uh, a situation where like, you know, like when I was in the SEC, it was centered around football. You know, you could have massive football weekends. Does that hurt you guys too, maybe? Or how, how do you, what do you send your recruits around? Football weekends, basketball weekends, or, or <laughs> you, what do you do? Um, I, I, we do both. Um our we have a good game day situation tailgating here for football is actually really fun it's off campus our football stadium so it the the tailgating all around the stadium is huge and it's 360 degrees around the stadium so the game day itself is is really is really fun you know our stadium seats i think like i don't know 65,000 or something it's mm. maybe 70 maybe i could be wrong um, but it's not your huge stadium. It doesn't seat 100, 110,000. So during the game, you know, it's not even a, it's not all the way around double layer. It's only doubled on the sides and, right. and our stadium goes into the ground. So, you know, I, I think we like to build around football games a good bit, but um, at the same time, it's not a mandatory for us on recruiting weekends. I mean, we, we like to think that our team and, and, and interacting with each other is the, is the viewpoint. And, you know, I literally tell kids, you know, if you're going to, you know, don't pick a school for six, you know, 24 days out of four, you know, 1,460, how many, how many days in a year? And, you know, you get six games a year, maybe you go to five of them because you're traveling for one of them. But so I, I, I try not to use that as a, as a selling point. Our team, our football team does a pretty good job. And when we won our first game, 45, nothing. So, Nice. This, is <laughs> this is the year. It's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see this weekend. We take on an SEC school away, so we'll see what we got. Nice. Um, well, talk me through um, kind of the an athlete like um, Coleman Stewart, who's just had success breaking a world record. But from what I understand, he's got a pretty incredible story. And this is kind of like a selling point for your program is, is like you can start off as a Coleman Stewart and end up where he is today in your program. It's, it's an amazing kind of genesis of somebody starting from almost nothing to where he is. So talk me through his progression of when you first met him to where he is today. <laughs> Coleman's a hoot. 
I would say he's one of the most fun kids I've ever coached. Um, and the most sarcastic kid I've ever coached. Um, so I, back when he was in high school, we were doing club visits, you know, I, you know, go see this club, go see this club. You know, you pick your pockets when you're able to go do that. And I had saw him when he was uh, a sophomore and he wasn't very fast, but the one thing I noticed was his fluidity and his movement on his underwater kick. Where's this at? Where's, where'd he grow up? This was North Baltimore aquatic club. Okay. Um, and then he was at York PA as well. And so we saw him and, um, and I think I was there to try and look at three other people that were older. And, and I saw him and I was like, that little, that little guy's got it. Like he doesn't go anywhere when he swims currently, mm-hmm. but you know, in, in my name of the game, if I can get him to 60 yards of, in a race, all he's got to do is muscle. You know, he's only got to figure out the other 40. Mm. Um, so he had the fluidity, he had the motion of a kick and I, and it's very hard to find that, um, you know, the, the movement underwater and, right. and how, you know, I, I felt like it was, it was almost like he was a kite flowing in the wind, not even against resistance or anything. And so when the recruiting came around, we, we were talking to him and, um, I don't even think we were his first choice going into it. I think we were like third or fourth, maybe, um, but when he took his visit, he and I connected and he was fun and, and outgoing and I'm usually pretty fun and outgoing. Um, you know, I like to be, I like to be who I am, right? I got four kids at home. So I, I kind of want to be goofy a, a good bit, but, um, I kind of shared a vision with him and, and a process for him. And, um, he felt a, a good fit and, um, you know, wasn't in our class. He was kind of the lower guy in the class. As far as when you look at just basic times, and I just kept reminding him, it's not about where you are now, man. It's about where you're going to be at the end. You know, that's that's what creates probably your legacy, right? And can, can and, I just stop you right there for a second? Yeah. That that conversation is really difficult too. Like when you're ranking a kid, especially when you're sitting with their parents as well, mm-hmm. and it's like all of a sudden the the NCAA forces you or the school forces you to rank a kid based on you know, the amount of scholarship they're going to give you, where where they sit in your class. I mean, the NC, you know, they're doing rankings all the time on these kids. So right. it's like, it's a very uncomfortable conversation, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And we even have some right now who you're trying to communicate like, look, I'm recruiting you because I see the big picture, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Right now on our team, maybe you're lower on the depth chart, but like, doesn't mean you stay there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you can really develop and, and sometimes you know, the student athlete can see it and they love it and they understand. And sometimes, you know, they, they, they can't, um, and, and they, they're having a hard time envisioning the process more. And, mm. but with Coleman, he got it and he understood. And, you know, when he got here, he improved quicker than I thought, um, his first year. I mean, he had a pretty good year and, we just spent most of the year trying to developing his freestyle, trying to develop. I mean, he was really good underwater for like two laps. And then it was like, Oh God, he can't do it for a third or fourth or even seven turns Hmm. in a 200. So we worked on the, the focal point of being able to manage it for first for a 200. Um, and then the second year he, he, he really took off. And, um, you know, I think, it's been it's been interesting to watch him grow more as a as a person than probably a swimmer, um, 
you know, he's gotten better in the swimming side of things. Underwater kick is where he really obviously took off and did most of his damage. But watching him grow as an adult now, you know, he's still learning, right? I mean, he's still a young guy. He's still a young, young adult. And so he's, he's still kind of going through that process. But that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is, is, I mean, we've been together now six plus years and he trusts everything from me and I trust him. And I, it's for a student athlete and a coach to get to that point fully. I, you know, I think if you ask a bunch of coaches out there, is there one, like, who do you fully trust Hmm. and and what kid will fully trust you with whatever you give them? Like if I gave him all this, you know, four hundreds and five hundreds, he would do it. I mean, he'd probably whine, but he would do it and he would do it the way I ask. Mm. And so that's, that's where I think uh, it's just been awesome. Is that trust? It's interesting that you, you say that. I think a lot of athletes don't understand that if you do give your coach that and you do, and do give yourself that for starters, if you, if you allow yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to trust my coach, but I'm also going to trust myself to say, just give it everything I got. You can make these huge gains, but you just see a lot of athletes really just holding back on that trust issue of either trusting themselves to fully dig into this thing and just submit, just let it just be it, you know, or or trusting your coach completely. And that doesn't mean that you can't question things like come up to your office and say, Hey, what was the meaning behind this thing? Like, what, why'd we do that? Okay. I get it. And I'll do it again for you. You know, like when you get an athlete to get to that level, you can do incredible things and they can make huge gains forward. Yeah. I mean, I always tell our team, you know, like no coach is going to give you something to make you slower. Right. I mean, no one does that, you know, like, and even when my office door is open, I was like, you guys can come talk with me at any point, but you got to understand, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Right. And maybe half of that is what you want to hear. And maybe half of it is what you not, you don't want to hear, but it's always going to be the truth. And so, you know, I think, you know, the biggest thing that you hear with, with younger swimmers a lot of times when they, when they join your program a lot is that is them having to separate the way things were before. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always done it this way. Well, I've always done it this way. And then it's kind of like, well, you know, there's so many ways to get, I mean, look at the Olympics. All right. I mean, you know, we, I, with Dean Boxley, you had on, I'm sure <laughs> the Ledecky and, and Titmus did not probably get to the same point the same way. Right. right. And, and so I think allowing kids to make sure that they can explore this. Um, and, and we meet with our athletes a lot, right? So I, you know, with Coleman, it was like, at this point, ever truly know how it is in your mind or your body. I won't, I won't, even though I can, you know, after six years, I can, I can see a lot of it, but there's still a little bit that you're going to have to be open with me about, but it has to be truthful. And so and we've kind of gotten to that point, and I, and I always I encourage the other team, you know, be be open, be communicative, but be true to yourself when you do that, and and good decisions will come between you and a coach relationship to, to get you to where you need to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people have made comments on his underwater kicking just recently. Obviously, watching that world record go down, he's got some freaky underwaters but it's obviously something that has you know progressed throughout the program so brian barnes did tell me that you have um a kick progression 
that is that is pretty awesome. So, what's your philosophy on building underwater kick and developing it, and and um, and getting it to the point where you've got a common Stewart now? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that we look at is seeing are they a full body kicker or are they a core kicker? You know, I if you look Coleman, if you look at his underwaters from his streamline all the way down, he moves a lot. I mean, his whole body moves a lot. And then if you look at someone like Michael Phelps, he's able to keep his upper body pretty, pretty flat mm-hmm. and start basically okay belly button rib cage that's the generation that's my my source of everything that's where it starts so i think trying to to distinguish between where you're going to create the most power and when i tell coleman a lot sustainable power like can you make your underwaters and those kicks intentional attentional and purposeful for eight laps Mm. right and you know because you always have kids that are like oh i went fi- i go 15 off every wall we're like well yeah but after six kicks you're slow yeah you should just come up um so i think the first thing is 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 identifying that and with coleman it was he's a full body kicker because we toyed around with the other way and he 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 just didn't generate enough force production per kick mm. um i think the big thing too is is understanding the range of a kick you know, we always, if I, I was talking with Catherine Burkoff this morning and I drew her a picture, although you can't really see it, but I was like, I was like, Catherine, if you're going to kick a soccer ball really far and you're going to load your back foot to go kick it. So you're going to bring your back foot back and then you're going to go kick it. You're not just going to stop at the ball. You're going to kick through. So like, you know, we kind of, we took, we focus a lot on the same distance from your body line up and mm. back and so sometimes it requires more movement with your upper body um but this kick progression i started when i was at swanee university of the south swanee tennessee there's nothing there but like three restaurants <laughs> um division three school and uh there was a kid named matt martelli um we hit it off we, i grew up hunting in louisiana and he was a big hunter and we would go hunting before practice and then go to practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, it's Division Three. It was awesome. And um, it started with him because he couldn't swim freestyle. Like, the guy's hunter fly was faster than his hunter free. And I was like, okay, well, then we'll just kick it. Like, we, we, we'll just minimize your freestyle because we need to score in more than just the 100 and 200 fly. We need, we need to get that 50 free down. But why don't we just kick, the, you know, just kick it, right? And just minimize your strokes. And so um, – it started with him on basically it goes through a season um, and it's a resisted kick, um, but there's always testing marks after that. Um, and so in that, I, I change the testing all the time, but it's really right. We, we put them on a resistance and it's either towers or buckets or a stretch cord or whatever. And that you, you're, you establish your appropriate kick rate and that's, we do that through vertical kick. So if you have like a tempo trainer and, mm-hmm. you know, cause taller kids, that kick rate's going to be slower. You know, if you have your five foot three swimmers, maybe that kick tempo is a lot, you know, a, a lot quicker. And that's to find the full amplitude, the, the correct range of amplitude on your kick mm. and not just, you know, the little short choppy ones, you know, cause sometimes people just want to kick really fast. And I'm like, man, you're just wasting so much energy, like slow it down and, and, and move some water. Right. And, and so we find it through some vertical kicking, find the right, the amplitude, and I'll even check it during, you know, the, the resistance. But 
basically we go through a pattern. It's not a whole lot of rest to start the season because I kind of tell the team all this is to start is to be able to handle being underwater. For you know, if you're only going to breathe so much at 100 back, if you're underwater 60 yards of the race, Coleman's only going to breathe so much. So it's right. a lot, a lot of repeats. Come in, you know, we're going to hit 12 kicks, come back, rest 10 seconds. 12 kicks, come back, and it'll, let's just say it's on a power tower, very minimal weight, and just being able to handle that. And then we up the kicks, we up the kicks, and we end up getting up to like 20 kicks, mm. which is pretty intense. Not everybody does, but for him, we'd get up to 20 kicks on 10 seconds rest, and let's just say it's 20 pounds of weight, 15 pounds of weight. And we're just and we're just testing can he hold the same frequency and can he hold the same rate over and over and over again. And then uh, as the season goes, we'll increase the weight. We'll we'll start bringing the kicks down and uh, we'll increase the rest. So now we're going from like, okay, now we're it's not so much of a focus of being able to have intense, you know, purposeful kicks for for a 200 back. It's it's more to okay, well now how long does it take me to get there? Right. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, that's the main thing, right? Is okay, Coleman, if you're going to, if your kick count is going to be eight, 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 ten, you know, short course meters, is 10 the right? And for him, you know, obviously he doesn't really lose speed a whole lot, but it took us a while to find out where he lost his velocity. And, and mm. okay, and I kind of tell the team, you know, like you got to come up before that because if you wait, it's too late. Um, so it's a kicking progression that goes through the whole season. And, and when we test, a lot, lot of it is just, you know, we'll go a broken 100 as fast as you can, but you can't breathe. You can only breathe at the walls. So it's a 100 all-out kick underwater. And how quickly can you do it, right? You're managing your breathing on the wall. Obviously, the speed underwater. Later in the season, we'll go, you know, maybe we'll just get to 225s on 30, 225s on 25. Um, what's your time on both, you know, and then at that point we're clocking them to a certain point as well. Like how long right. does it take you to get to 15? So it's just data and giving them that data. So they know, okay, yeah, I am quicker if I only take these many kicks or I'm quicker if I slow my kick rate down, or I'm quicker if I, if I, if I, I need to speed up my kick rate. Um, you know, so I think it's something that I've done. And I've just seen a lot of benefit with it. And we used to just, you know, that year I did it with that young man in Division Three, and he went, he went a lot faster in his fifty because he just was so much quicker. And then when I went to Virginia Tech, that's when we started. We, I mean, we started using dog collars because I, I wanted to keep the hips open, and I went through that phase. And then I, what do you mean by dog collar? What's that? So you know the, um, those big Doberman pinchers or, or you know, German shepherds, when you walk your dog, instead of just the collar that goes to the leash, you can put the full body thing on it to where they don't choke themselves. Mm. And so we had a guy named, uh, the first person I did this with was Charlie Higgins at Virginia Tech. His whole family ended up going there and, and I brought it in and, and you you put the dog collar sideways and you you put it on and then you clip it right here. And then the leash thing is on the back. And we, that's where we would plug in the resistance mm. because everything below his ribcage was free and open and he was able to really whip it. And so it, it just kept their, their hips free. Um, mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And it worked really, really well. But then I went through a phase of like, well, maybe I want their hips to be restricted and I'd rather it be, I don't know. I kind of, I go back and forth. Right. <laughs> what about, what about fin kick? Is that something that is incorporated into this whole program? Yeah, eventually we'll get down to, you know, fast kicking with fins, you know. 
so the program has two parts the the resistance resistance part and then the other part goes from you know the aqua volo socks which i can't remember who invented those but i'm so glad they didn't exist when i swam because <laughs> those things are miserable <laughs> but we'll go underwater and we'll have them be completely still dead start pop eight kicks um and we'll then we'll move the socks up to their knees and then we'll take the socks away and then we'll add fins and we'll go add our kicks okay we'll go eight four with socks with eight kicks four with the socks at your knees at 10 kicks four with nothing at 12 and then we'll go four 25s with fins mm. um and we just kind of build up basically that is kind of a, a mechanism to make sure they're starting to kick from the right spot and they're not just starting from their kit you know their knees or whatever um and you know the 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 thing with the socks, you know, in the water is they just min minimize your, your movement. And so just making sure that we're holding the same amplitude. And I always tell them if you can kick a 0.45 per kick rate with the socks on, you're going to hold some serious water on the top of your foot and the bottom of your foot without socks at a 0.45 kick rate. Right. So, yeah. It sounds like this is some testing and also maybe, maybe some power progression. So how many times a week would you be incorporating that into the program? at least twice. Okay. Yeah. We, um, and then obviously end of the year go, it goes down. Um, you know, as the rest goes up, the reps go down, we take socks out, we take the resistance out, um, you know, ends up becoming more so much of a speed component of, okay, last time it, after eight kicks, you were at this mark in 5.4 seconds. Can we get to the same mark with one less kick at 5.3 seconds? You know, and so it is a lot of testing. It is a lot of power-based um, resistance movement, but eventually it gets to just finding the exact range and amplitude mixed with your speed, you know, per person, right? I mean, for yeah. Coleman, his kicks are a little bit bigger and, you know, compared to, you know, Justin, for example, who's also there, his, we're trying to get his kicks bigger and, mm. and, and his are a little bit smaller and shorter. And so it's really just trying to find the right recipe for each person. So then do you translate that now into a, um, a kick count into their workouts? Let's mm -hmm. say they're doing a set of, you know, 2050s. Now they've come from this power session in the morning. Now they're doing a set of 2050s, you know, are, are they holding a kick count now? Yep. Every, I would say everything we do, even freestyle butterfly and backstroke, every single, even kick sets. I mean, we did a kick set this morning with the women and, and it was with a board, but I had them, you push off on the water and you go four kicks. You mm. know, the goal is to be, we have lines that are, they're going past, you know, lines going each way and bottom pull. The goal is to get past line three on the fourth kick before you come up. And obviously with a board, it's pulling you up. So you, they have to be pretty quick and forceful. So that's kind of the minimum is like anytime you're doing anything, it's a minimum four kicks. Yeah. Yeah. And Coleman, you know, if we go through race pace and, you know, and he's, he's cranking out 2050s on 130 backstroke um usually what i'll do is for him he's he's probably going to get to at least 12 at holding his kick count um you know and then usually what i'll do is end up bumping him up you know okay now we're going to add one on the first lap three on the second lap um just to kind of force a little bit more of the attention to his concept of okay i want to be as fast on my last lap to 15 as i am the second lap mm. And I think that's where he's so good is if you watch even the ISL, if you watch his, his first lap, he's gets to the wall with everyone else. And then the second lap is where he takes off. And right. it's not so much that he's going faster. 
It's just that he can sustain it for four laps really, really well. Yeah, and, he, and he's, he's trying to he's trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Although long course, I take away his kicks. <laughs> so we go 2050s. I don't let him kick for the first 12. Really? Yeah, just dead start. No push off. Just start go right to the swim. Flip, push off, two kicks up, swim. And then the last eight, okay, here's your kick count. Wow. But he hates that. <laughs> What about those ones? Uh, there's not many people that are comfortable underwater from the get-go, from the jump. You know, so how do you build in comfort underwater, just that peace of mind, but also, you know, not pushing it to a point where, you know, you're holding someone's head underwater. It's it's a fine <laughs> balance too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, a lot of the early season we're doing underwater kick. The intervals aren't very tight. You know, it's really just form. You know, I'll do a lot of um, – we did this the other day uh, where we – I think it was just 825s, and the first two, it was like, can you get to the other side in six kicks? That's all you get. Nice and easy, six kicks. Think about form. And then the next two, it would be like, descend your six kicks and then hold that descend, but not to like something crazy. And we'll eventually get to like, okay, I want you to blast six kicks and then glide. Right. How far can you glide in your line before you come up? Um, you know, so it's kind of like developing that and then, you know, we'll have challenging things that, uh, you know, two ways, one, you just drop the interval down and that just gets challenging and you're having to control your, your breathing on the wall, a pretty good bit, you know, breathe with your diaphragm, you know, we kind of say, don't breathe with your shoulders. Um, but the one thing that I like doing that's, that's different. And I did this a lot with Coleman when he was early on in his career, more for the 200 back, even though he hates the 200 back. Um, and it ended up helping his hundred is we would just do swim sets backstroke where he could only go fast when he's above the water. So we would just put the cord at 15 meters off both ways. You know, okay, go 15 off each wall, but just cruise it. But then when you get up, you crank to the wall, you flip and then you cruise. Mm. And so we would do a bunch of stuff where he's having to, you know, cause I think a lot of people can give repeat 25s on the water and it can help, but if you're not swimming with it, it's only going to go so far right is okay now i got to get up and swim all out after i just mm. kicked all out so it's just kind of a way of incorporating both that i think really helped him and others but it just i you know i think they just get more comfortable when they're focusing more on the flow and the rhythm but yeah we definitely have some that will that aren't comfortable and you know i remember we had <laughs> this is a i don't know if i should tell this story um but <laughs> do it we do a lot of okay <laughs> 425s on 40, 425s on 35, 425s on 30, 425s on 25. You know, mm. with fins, fast kick on the water, just keep going down. And we would do it like with T-shirts on. Mm. And we used to uh, – one year I had – that you bring in your favorite music group. You go bring in your favorite shirt. Or one year I had leftover camp T-shirts. So they were all red. And we had this young lady named Nicole Haynes. And – um and we, we got down, the interval was pretty quick. And um, she came in and, and I saw like a red thing coming from her eye. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I'm like, I, I freaked out. I thought her eyes were bleeding because mm -hmm. she was having to hold her breath. And, and if they get less than five seconds on the wall, usually I'm like, okay, you're, that's it. You have to make the interval about at least by five. But I thought her eyes were bleeding from holding her breath and at mm -hmm. a high intensity. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is so stupid. Why did I do this? I, I for you know anyway, 
And I freaked out. I pulled her out. I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, get all up in her face. She's like, stop. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm like, your eye's bleeding. (laughs) And she took her, and it was just a piece of cloth from the red shirt. (laughs) But I I stopped the whole group. I freaked out. Oh, yeah. No doubt. That was getting crap out of you. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a fine line with that. But once the eyes start bleeding, pull them up, man. Oh, that's nuts, man. Um, well, you did you did mention uh, the women. So how do you have balance between the men and women? They have different needs, but it sounds like you all train together. But how do you create separate identities for, for both of them? Yeah, it's I think coaching both genders at once is a is a God, it's hard, mm. you know, and um, I feel like I'm one way with the men. If they're separate, I'm completely different with the women. But then like when they're together, I'm kind of a mix between both. But um, I think the first thing I'll say is the good news is our teams respect each other. Um, they respect the growth of each team. I think it did help when I got here that both teams were at the bottom pretty much. And so the rise was respected by both. So I think that that really helped set the stage for the future for our programs. Um you know, I think um, early in the year, we separate men and women for a few weeks. Um, like this morning, it was only the women. Tonight, the men and women are separate. You know, Thursday will be a day where it's just the men in the morning to create their team identity, who we are, who, what are our personalities like, who's new to the team, what are their pros, what are their cons as far as how they relate with the, the current group. Um and then we'll, as we build up, we will start putting them together, put them together. You know, there'll be a Saturday, a couple of Saturdays, we'll do all the team together, men and women. And then we'll kind of get going in more primary groups, um, a little bit more separation. But I think doing that early in the year, um, as they're trying to figure things out, you know, people are coming from different breaks. Some people are really out of shape. Some are not. Um, some are coming off the Olympics. Some are not. And so I think just spending time to let them be with each other and, um we'll even do practices well they'll write it you know and they submit it to us and like okay i like it you run it and and Mm. we're just going to give feedback i think it allows them to have more fun with things but um you know the women i you know a lot of times people think of our program as the men you know the men have had such a strong history and and the women's history is is not quite where the men were but i always tell people the women are the ones that had the biggest rise um when I first got here, we didn't have anybody with a B cut mm. and trying to, you know, and this year we had a bunch of national champions, which was a lot of fun. And, um, but I think the men and the women really respect each other for understanding they each have the same goals. They each have the same things that they're driven towards. And so it, it makes it a lot more fun as a coaching staff when you have both teams that are kind of on the same page, they both get there sometimes in different ways. You compete against women's only teams. I'm sure you see advantages and disadvantages to both, right? It, it's mm-hmm. uh, I, I did when I was I was at Auburn. You know, I was like I felt like there was certainly both. But um, where do you feel like the advantages and disadvantages are for you? I see. I, I think the advantages are is our women feed off the men, and our men feed off the women. Um, you know this year especially was was a year where our men were you know we didn't have coleman anymore we didn't have some pretty strong alpha leaders and 
we had a younger team. You know, some of our guys stayed in Europe. Um, and so the women were the alpha team. They were the team this year. And I think mm. the men knew that. And I think the men supported it. They knew, you know, with the Olympics coming up, they knew what was pretty big for, for some of our women in the Olympic Games. They knew going into NCAAs that our women had a chance to do some pretty big things, um, uh, you know, as far as winning some events and top threes a lot more than the men. And I think the advantage that I have is, is, is they embrace each other. Mm. Um, and they do it during workout too. And, and even during the year, we'll separate them at sometimes, you know, if it's a women only practice or a men only practice, but I think the advantage is our women like being and training with the men Our men like training with the women because our women will throw down some crazy stuff. And, you know, so we have guys that are like, Oh my God, Catherine Burkhoff just pushed a 52 in practice and a hundred back. That's crazy. And the next, thing you know, Sophie's Hanson's going, pushing 102s and practice. I mean, it's just, or we have guys that can't do that, you know, unless they're going to have some rest or something. So I, I, I think there's a, a definitely a level of respect. I think the disadvantages are making sure that we can provide for, for everybody, you know, yeah. and there's just a lot of mouths to feed when there's so many kids for both genders and you have a bigger staff, of course, um, which helps, but um, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, if you have one gender, it's sometimes it's easy to, you can focus so much more on just a smaller group. Um, and sometimes your, your teams are in different pages. Like, you know, our, our men, we knew we were going to have to fight to be top 10 again. Um, you know, they're used to being fourth because we were fourth so many darn times. They knew that this was a different year. And so you kind of go from that meet coming off a meet where after the 800 free relay debacle, that was a, <laughs> that occurred um, that everything we did, we were just on fire. And so it was like, boom, fast, boom, fast, boom, fast. And so it was from a, 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 a from a coaching staff, it was emotionally two separate, completely separate meets yeah. that we were navigating through. Yeah. yeah it's, it's tough, man. I don't, I don't envy you on in that realm. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't miss that, that uh, drop in energy where you just feel like you've been run over by a truck, you know, at the end of those two meets, it's like, right. that's intense. But uh, and speaking of women, uh, you lost one of your assistant coaches to your now probably one of your biggest rivals within your own conference and, and at NCAAs and, and he's, and, and Todd's gone on to have success at the national level with Virginia. I mean, from the outside looking in, that just seems like it's a recipe for hatred, but that doesn't seem to exist between the two of you. There's obviously extreme amount of respect and a friendship still there. How have you managed to have somebody that's a direct competitor to you having success, doing the things that you were doing in your program and, and competing against you, but still remaining to be friends? Yeah, I think we... I think the easiest way to answer that is we went through so much here together that it doesn't really matter. Our, our friendship won't be broken. I mean, it's just, I mean, we, the, our first year here together was hard. I mean, we were, we just were not a good team at all. And so mm -hmm. it just, we went through the trenches with each other. Um, and, you know, I remember when I tried to hire him, he said no, like twice. And, and no one really knew who Todd was, but I, I did my research. You know, I, I'm like one of those coaches. I, I like to do my research on coaches. Hmm. And so he was kind of, you know, he was at Wilmington and, you know, 
no one really knew who he was and he came here and we just we had a friend i mean we would run together at night i would run by his house because his neighborhood was right next to ours and he would come out we'd start running and mm. our kids played uh soccer together football together um so our kids were close and and so we over time it just it, it didn't matter where he went i mean i knew he was going to do a lot of things that we did here that are that work yeah. and i knew it and and just like my other coaches but I also knew he had his own you know his own taste on things that were going to be successful especially at virginia where there's a lot of success there's a lot of history and and you know it's funny is you know yeah both of us were tested first with a little bit of our friendship with just being you know rivals now that we're we create a good product here and a good team here and he's going to do the same thing at virginia and and once it, it was kind of fun um, and it tested us a little bit, but I think once we kind of got through that period of we both like to win, we both like to, to go fast. I think we always looked at each other like, man, we just totally respect each other. And mm. I respect who he is as a, as a father and a husband. I respect obviously who he is as a coach. And so it, we've been able to keep our relationship up. We dual meet each other and, and the dual meets get intense, but in the, the day it's like, you know, we're just some coaches, right? Yeah. I mean, and the yeah. world, my wife tells me the world's going to keep turning, whether you're doing this or not. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And so he kind of has the same out, you know, outlook, you know, looking at things the same way as I do. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think they bring out the best in us too. I mean, our, I don't think our women would have been runner up at NCAAs, which our goal was to be top four. They just wanted to get a trophy and all of a sudden we get second. I don't think it would have, it would have happened if Virginia wasn't pushing us too, right? And we weren't pushing them. And so I think it's a lot of respect towards each team, but obviously the, each team wants to win. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, that's probably the best way to go about it, man. I mean, it seems like there was some stress on the relationship, which undoubtedly there would be, but you've come through it, which is awesome, man. And and I agree, at the end of the day, it's women, man. I mean, right. you, think, you think everybody in your world, like, you think everyone in the world cares because your world is right here. But then when you step out of it, like I have a little bit and take the, you know, 3000 foot view of it, it's like, there's not that many people that really care, you know, right. but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you don't want to destroy a relationship like that. But, um, right. but yeah, I mean, it's good that you guys have been able to compete through that and, um, and still respect each other. Uh, it's, it's a tough one, but he, he's doing a fantastic job of Virginia too, for sure. That's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, um, in terms of uh, your program now, where where is it headed? Because, you know, when you first come in, it seemed to me within the program there was this buzz. I mean, and, and you start to have success around that buzz. And then it's like now now you're a contender. But then you, it seemed to me like you got to a point, like is it still a believable achievement for you to say that we can win a, a national title? Is that still where you're headed with this? Oh, yeah. I, I would probably say more now than when we were, you know, when we were talking about it in 2017, 18. I mean, mm -hmm. I, and our, our 2018 men's team was, was good. Mm -hmm. We just didn't have, we didn't have the, the depth of top end. And I feel like we've had a good run with a couple of recruiting classes on the men's side. We've had a good run on the women's side that it's definitely something to talk about. Um, and we kind of talk a little bit more about 
it's when you talk about one year, it's going to be this year. It never works that way. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember telling the guys one year when Ryan held and Anton Ibsen and Hennessy Stewart, when they all graduate, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to be, how are we going to sustain a top four finish? And mm-hmm. then the next year we scored more points. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting how that, how that happens because people elevate it. Right. And, right. and so I think for us, I don't, we don't really talk about it. Um, we haven't talked about it as a team, um, men or women, uh, women, I think we're still working towards getting there. Um, just with trying to get our depth a little bit better at an NCAA level, but our men, I think, I think at some point it's going to have to be a topic to, to bring up, to say, okay, it's one thing to kind of mention it, but it's a one thing to live it. And, and that's what we don't have. We don't have the experience doing that. And we have to, we're going to have to figure out how to get there without that. And so I think for us, there was a lot of buzz. We, we hit a good, a good stretch and we were doing great things. And now it's a different buzz because, you know, we, we've, you know, we did a lot of what we did with some guys that maybe weren't ranked as high in the recruiting world of rankings and stuff. And now on paper, you know, you got guys coming in that are ranked a little bit higher than, than we've ever had before. So it, it creates the thought, but I won't allow our team to talk about it until they understand what it means to, to live it. Mm. Um, and I kind of tell them that's not talking about it. That's, that's doing all these little things, right. And taking care of yourself, taking care of your teammates and, and wherever it falls, it falls. Cause we can't, you know, we don't know what these other teams are going to do. We don't, we're not with them every single day. And obviously diving for our program is, is an area of where we have to continue to, to, to get better. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I do think it's looking down the crystal ball a little bit. I, I do think we have guys that are capable of getting us to that, to that spot. What about you personally? I know that every young coach, especially when they take over a program, wants that validation. And I'm sure there was probably a period of time where you felt like you certainly wanted it and needed it. Are you still in a point where you desire that for yourself as a, as a head coach? I I don't think I need it. Um, I want it because I think it it stands for something that's much bigger than I can even comprehend. Um, our alumni, um, Don Easterling, Willis Casey, coaches that were here before me that did so much more than I could ever dream of. Mark, you know, uh, who's been doing this for so long. I, I mean, I think I think for our, our program as a whole, it would be, it would almost just be, it happened, right? For the guys in the 50s, the guys in the 60s, the guy, Dick Fadge and guys, I mean, that guy won two national titles in one day in two different events. You know, Cullen Jones. I mean, it, we're, mm. I just, I think it would be a big monument for, for those guys. But for me, when I die, it's not going to say world's best coach, right? I, uh, it needs to say loving husband and, and fantastic father is what I wanted to say. So I don't feel like I need it. Um, but it's definitely something that, that I strive towards. And, and the way to get there is just to have a great environment each and every day in a great culture. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think the excitement in these young kids' minds is something that you got to use, right? You got to use it to, to motivate. And But for me, I just, I love what I do and I have fun doing it. I'm having just as much fun now as I ever have. And 
And, you know, I've gone through a different staff a lot because of the success we've had. And um, my wife allows me to do it, you know, and I tell her at the end of each year, my wife's name is Mary. I said, Mary, if, if this is too much for our family, let me know and I'll step aside. And I do it every year. I do it once a year. And right now she says, oh, shut up. Just let's go. Keep going. So until that time comes, I'm going to keep doing it and keep striving for, for bigger things. And It's interesting that you said that because I want to touch on that. I had a very um, in-depth kind of conversation with Dean Boxall. You know, at the end of our two-and-a-half-hour conversation that we had the other day, I pinned him down. But, uh, you know, for about 20 minutes, we talked on on this, you know, specifically in terms of family and impact. And and one of the things he pleaded with the audience, he, he said, like, I don't know how to do this any other way other than completely all in, which then takes me away from everything else in my life where I'm just totally self-absorbed into being the best coach I can be. He's obviously had the results that he's had recently with, with Titmus and some others and you know, the, the top level of success that we all strive for too as coaches, we want that Olympic glory, right? But um, but I'll say this about you, and I, this is from me personally, you don't need to win a national title to, to earn someone like mine respect or other coaches out there, mate. Like you've done incredible things. You're still doing incredible things. You're leading a program for, you know, a, a great number of years is to me everything. And, and um so I appreciate it. Pe people like me, you've earned that respect. You don't need to win a national title, man, but um, it would, it would be nice, but it's not yeah. necessary. Um, yeah, but in, just in terms of that, like, you know, talking to Dean's plea of like, help me coaches, like what have you learned in that process where it can become all consuming that it's not completely taken away from your family? Cause I talked to Brian Barnes about this too, and said, you're an incredible father, incredible husband. How do you find that balance there? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, you know, I would, I'll be honest and I'll say a lot of times where I reconnect with the balance is if I have a moment and I'm like, I did not do a good job at bothering just now. Like I, it usually takes something that I didn't do right. And I know it to have a good stretch of, of balancing. Um, you know, my wife is wonder woman. I don't know how she does it. I mean, she helps. I mean, for a conference in NCA, she had our four kids and Brian's two kids. So she's watching over six kids, you know, and during COVID. So she's like, she's like teaching six kids. Mm. And I mean, a lot of stuff I can't do anyway, because I can't do my high schoolers math homework. It's just, <laughs> it's too much. I don't remember any of it. Um, but I think for me, it sometimes, unfortunately, it takes a little bit of a gut check where I know, hey, I just did a bad job as a dad this morning, I, I got a rebound. I need to get back on track. And, and then we get going. My wife helps me and she, she, we have a family calendar. So she's always plugging stuff in like, Hey, even if you're making a recruiting call at six, get, you know, you got to get holding the bait, my youngest to baseball practice. And, you know, lots of, if I don't, I'm going to get out there and help. And, um, you know, sometimes I, or I don't, I go for a walk around the baseball field to, to kind of look after my health a little bit. And, but it's difficult, I think, cause you do get consumed. I mean, I, it's, it's, you know, you, you kind of go through this and you're like, you know, like I, I remember saying, like I said earlier, 2018, I was like, this is the best men's team I've had. I mean, we were really, really good. Mm. And 
then something new happens. Like next thing you know, our, our women's team does this, right? And then, so it's something new and it just keeps encouraging you. Like now, like the world record, I mean, I've never had a world record mm-hmm. or I've coached a world record till Coleman. And so now it's like, you know, the first thing I started thinking of, I was like, how do we go 47? How do we mm-hmm. go 47? Which I, I think can happen, but it makes you start thinking, okay, you, now I'm more thinking now it's even more. So it, I have to sometimes chill that out. Right. And, you know, you know, my wife was like, she was smart. We, you know, I, I always give my team off Labor Day weekend. No Saturday, no Sunday, no Monday. A lot of teams don't do that. I do it. I think it's their last hurrah before things really get going with recruiting weekends, with training, with school. As I list your last chance to take your breather, it's your last chance to when things are easy. Um, I also use it as my for myself. I mean, my wife and I took our kids to Colonial Williamsburg. Uh, to do an educational trip with a little uh, visit to the water park, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I it is challenging. But but I you know and Mark's really good too for me. You know Mark will tell me, Coach, mm-hmm. you don't need to be there for that. You go home. Mm-hmm. And so having someone who's been there before to help keep me balanced on my staff is is huge because I'm pretty full steam ahead. You know Brian yeah. always. Brian always tells people Braden runs a he go they're quick. It's like a fast treadmill on speed ten. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you know you gotta you know instead of you let the treadmill keep going, you just gotta hop on the side, right? Let the thing keep going, and you just take a break. <laughs> so I think having the right people here to help me stay balanced is key. Yeah, for sure. What about this thing? Do you have any tricks for this? This thing doesn't stop anymore, man. It's uh, text, <laughs> uh, emails, phone. I mean. FaceTimes, it's oh. whatever they want, they can get you on this thing now. Is uh, there any tricks that you have for that? Uh, the Coleman's texting me about workout. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, Italy. <laughs> I, um, I think the big thing for the the cell phone is there are times where I'm on it. My wife and family know I need to be on it, but there are times where, you know, like if I charge it, I'll, I'll put it face over, and you know, I'll, I'll mute it and. You know, especially during team meals. I mean, our kids know that, you know, when you're at team or team family meals, um, right. no, no phones, no, no, nothing at the table, no electronics. Um, you know, I, I try and have a, a really good conversation with my wife at least once every three days of like real adult stuff, um, which is hard because we're always carpooling. I mean, I, I won't see her. I left this morning before she got up, but I won't see her till. She gets back home with her last carpool, which is going to be like eight o'clock. Hmm. Um, so having that that time where we're together and and I'm reminded that this is the most important thing in my life, you know, is my wife and my and my kids. And so, you know, there are times where I will, you know, especially on Sunday, you know, I won't even look at my phone till about one o'clock, sometimes two o'clock. Is this? I mean, you've done this now for ten years, and you've got you got kids who kind of a you got some you got a kid that's still under 10 right yeah six right right six so is this something you think you could still sustain for another 10 years till till that child is 16 i think so because by that point my oldest will be in college um <laughs> or she better be um <laughs> you know i think the the hard part right now with our children at the age they are is how many activities they're doing and right. trying to be a part of it Mm. Um, I do not like when I miss, there are certain things. Well, I will not miss. And the team knows it. I tell the team every time if 
first team meet, uh, meeting of the year, I say this this program will never take the front seat over my family. I won't do it. You know, and I was like, if that if that stops us from ever lifting up a trophy first, then th- that's the way it is. But my family will always be first. Um, so there's some times where, yeah, it's a Wednesday or a Thursday afternoon. I'm like, here's the workout. You know, my oldest is in a play because this happened maybe two, three years ago, right before COVID or something. She was acting in a play and that was it. That was the one showing mm. um, because the other showing I was going to be gone with the team. We were going to be traveling or something. And I, I was at that play. And so I think the team respects it. And I also feel like it's, 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 you know, like you said, part of what we do, you said this earlier, but we're not just swim coaches, right? We're here to guide them to adulthood from where their yeah. parents dropped us off. Right. And, you know, the parents get them to here and then there's life here. And then that gap, we're like the bridge. Right. And we got to do a good job of, of being good mentors for them. And, and being a father is definitely one of them for me. Yeah. So, good stuff, man. I love it. Yeah. Let, let me get back. I know I've got about five more minutes or so. Let me just go back to this in terms of programming. How do you keep a, how do you write a workout? How do you keep logs of workouts? How do you look back on workouts, you know, throughout the years? Tell me about that process for you. Well, I, I do like to keep workouts. Um, you know, I think there's so many different styles of doing it. You know, like there's coaches out there that don't write anything down and it's just all in their head. I'm a coach who I like to be a little bit ahead of schedule, um, but I also can adjust really quickly. You know, if I have a workout plan, I can stop it. We're not doing it. We're doing something else or mm-hmm. stop this set. Now we're going to do this instead. So I, 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 make, I, I make sure I keep that art of coaching open. Mm. Um, but I am a little bit more of, of mapping things out, having a little bit more of a systematic approach. I always like to tell people when they ask me, I balance the scientific with art. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like that. I want to make a pretty art design, but all with straight lines. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I do record a good bit so we can kind of track and see where things are. And I do take a lot of notes, you know, like you know, this, this whole format was a complete disaster. Don't ever do this again, blah, 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 blah. Or, or this was one of the best workouts. Make sure we denote how we warmed up because they were triggered and they were ready to go. And then all the way to recording, you know, for example, with Coleman, whenever we're doing race pace, so I can see, okay, man, I think we're going a little bit too hard right now compared to what I'm thinking. So I'm going to dial back the next two days a little bit lead into a weekend to recover a little bit more. So I, I do like to write. So we just use Google docs. I mean, I just mm. put everything on a Google doc. I used to, I used to just do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. Um, once this whole Google doc thing started, I just, and I like being able to update it on my, you know, on my phone during a workout if I need to. And so for me, it's, um, you know, every practice we do has a, focus so our team knows okay i'm going 100 speed today okay i'm going i am transition work today okay i'm going you know i'm going pretty low aerobic today or i know it's stroke you know i know i'm working for a 200 back this day 100 back this day and a 100 back that day or so they pretty much always know the theme of the practice and so i i want them to know what they're preparing for Mm. because i'm also a big believer in if we're warming up and a breaststroker is getting ready, like Sophie Hansen. 
Um, I will, I'll, I'll allow her to change warm up as much as she wants. I don't, you know, as long as some parameters are followed, if she needs to do less kick, more kick or whatever is, and she knows she's getting ready for a hundred brushstroke practice. Mm. She can manipulate it and I want her to get ready. So as long as she knows that once our kids grow and they learn, mm. they can, they can adjust to, to get ready. Cause I always kind of tell them like, if you're not fast on the first one, you're sitting on the side. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of how I, I write workouts and um, you know, I always, I always, they always make fun of me because at the bottom of the workout, I always put remainder per coach because they know I pretty much warm them down every time, but there's every now and then I will get them on the block and we're going to do something, <laughs> but I <they> never <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Just finish them off. Right. Right. Are you a believer in get out swims? Uh, I'm more of a believer on always ending on a positive note. Right. Me too. So yep. I don't, I usually, if I do a get out swim, I usually do it early in a workout knowing that I really don't want to hit them anymore today, but yet I still think they were, you know, they, I just, I, I don't, I don't do them at the end of the workout. Right. Like I right. just, you know, I always kind of tell people, you know, if it's a big workout or it's a focus workout, you know, if we're trying to go fast at the you know, in the workout, I, because I don't like giving challenging times that are not challenging. Yeah. Right. Cause then if I do it in the workout, I'm like, okay, I, we're going to go this, you know, tuner free relay. And I want you guys going under 118. They go like right. 122. <laughs> they're like, well, that backfired. Now they're leaving with no confidence at all. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same way. Like, I want to yeah. walk on away with confidence, feeling like they had a great workout. Yeah. I want that to be the, the lasting memory. So they come back. <laughs> definitely i know Got to. it's like playing uh, golf right you in with a you in with a really good shot you're gonna go play again at some point yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um well listen man i appreciate this deep dive it's been awesome um it's it's nice when the coach just kind of is just open and raw and just kind of let's 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 people in man this is a big deal for people to to sit in your office and just watch you talk i mean i'm sure there's and that's why I love this format so much, man. Just being able to kind of open this up like this. So um, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. These these podcasts are, are awesome to watch. And you pick up a lot of information. But you also, like you said, you always go back to like, this is a person. Yep. You know? and Yep. I think people just identify with with – you know, your hopes and dreams and struggles and all of it, you know, that there's going to be some part of this where someone says, I know exactly what, how he feels, what he's saying. And, and so then they can identify with you. So this humanizes you too, you know? So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time today. Yeah. Thanks, Brett. All right, Brad, and take care, man. All right. Bye. Bye. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device, such as the TVs in your facility lobby, ready room, or by athletes' family members across the world. A very simple and easy-to-use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. You actually see the live meet timer counting up. The splits come across the screen as the swimmers touch the pads. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. There are so many things you can do with this software. Swim Nerd Live turns any smart TV into a portable digital scoreboard. 
hang a TV out in the hallway of the pool or on both sides of the stands. This is perfect when you have swim meets and the kids are in the gym down the hall. They've made it incredibly simple for anyone to watch. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. And here's the cherry on top. Swim Nerd Live also provides advertising space for you to show off your sponsors, promote your upcoming swim camp, or have your alumni just one click away from donating. This software will pay for itself. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.